0: This is Prairie Room Companion, episode 72, recorded October 5th, 2011, The Five Furies. Welcome to Prairie Room Companion, I'm Chris
1: Bergwald. And I am Father Andrew, the Comedian Dickinson.
0: Father Andrew is a, a, a linguistics expert extraordinaire. Just like he likes to pretend he knows scripture, he likes to pretend he knows German.
1: It's never too easy to begin acting like you're celebrating the uh, Feast of uh, St. Lawrence the Deacon.
0: What? It's never
1: too early to begin celebrating the Feast of uh, uh, St. Lawrence the Deacon. Okay. You have
0: to spell it out, Father. What's the relevance of St. Lawrence the Deacon to your humor?
1: Uh, Because he's the patron saint of comedians? Seriously? You didn't know that?
0: Uh, clearly I didn't, and I'm pretty honest about what I don't know.
1: Wow. I'm I'm flabbergasted that they would allow you to leave Rome with a doctoral in uh, sacred theology and not know about one of the patrons of the city of Rome, one of the because of the city of Rome. I know
0: about Father Father Lawrence. I do know about Father Lawrence, too. I know about Deacon St. Lawrence. I didn't know that he was the patron of of comedians. It makes sense, given his remarks that he was being martyred. But uh, I'd never heard that before.
1: Are you saying that you were lying?
0: No. Mm. What?
1: Father...
0: I know how St. Lawrence is martyred. It makes sense that he's the uh, patron of comedians, but I didn't know he was the patron of comedians. Ah. That's what I'm saying.
1: But, uh, he, and, but not only for how he was martyred, but also uh, before his martyrdom, after, the, after they had martyred the pope and the other four deacons of the city of Rome, they, uh, the emperor commanded that Lawrence bring to him the treasures of the church. And so Lawrence rounded up all the poor of the city of Rome and marched them uh, to the courtyard of the emperor and said, here, here are the treasures of the church. Yep.
0: Yep. There we go. Go
1: Vis-a-vis, ergo, concordantly.
0: (laughs) (sighs) So anyway, are you done? Are you done? Can I go on? Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're joking. St. Lawrence, come on. So for, uh, last week's podcast, as, as you might recall, um, we, we discussed um, Jay's book, What We Can't
1: Not Know. Um, I, By the way, I met someone on Friday night who could pronounce his name. And? Well, I don't remember what it was, though. <laughs> so it was well, really <laughs> I,
0: yes, I, too, have heard how it's properly pronounced. I, too, do not remember how it's properly pronounced. Um, but
1: it was fun to know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I know, Father, at the end of, or as we were recording the podcast, sort of an you know, overview of this book, uh, sort of introduction to the natural law again, um, and we were touching on then some of the chapters that really intrigued us. I mentioned how chap- the chapter, um, chapter number eight, uh, which talks about how um, the entire, our entire culture really has forgotten um, the natural law and has tried to forget those things that we can't not know. Uh, But you you were really struck a thick by Chapter 7, which is titled Denial, um, and talks about the various furies, the the repercussions, the ramifications for us trying to, at an individual level, trying to forget the things that we, in fact, cannot not know. Um, So uh, we we, we had said then that we'd uh, take that up this podcast, and so that's what we are doing.
1: This expertly recorded podcast.
0: Indeed. Because there is an expert recording this podcast. A trained professional in podcast recording.
1: The man behind the scenes, who you often never hear. And we like to keep it that way. Good. So we won't even mention his name.
0: No, we won't. Smashing.
1: Exactly. All right. So we're going to go on to the five furies now.
0: Yes, yes, yes.
1: So he... uh, when we talk about the denial of the natural law, you know, so I, th- I think this becomes one of the arguments that we experience in our culture. People say, well, if, if it's so obvious, right, if it's really what we can't not know, then how is it that it seems that so many people don't know it, right? Yep. And and so like, they want to deny the notion of conscience, they'll want to deny the notion of... Uh, of things being known in this way. and he says, there's this little tagline at the beginning of this chapter, there is nothing nothing wrong with the basic programming of conscience. The problem is in the interface, the human will. so how we choose to react to the conscience in the way that it that it speaks to us. Okay. does that make some sense? Yep. And so in this light then, um, you know he, uh, he wants to, to to treat conscience with a little more de- detail in this way. Uh and specifically what he'll talk about what he calls the five furies. Um and or uh uh the way that our conscience uh speaks again, uh, speaks against the things we do wrong. Uh, so he says, you know, deep conscious cannot err, it cannot make a mistake, but in working out its remote implications, we can err. Right? So we feel our conscience afflicting us or moving us, and we err, we make errors in the way that, that we uh that we react to the conscience, And so it's what we call our surface conscience in this sense. It's an interesting distinction that we don't maybe don't need to go into. So do you want to go into that detail, that difference? Go ahead.
0: Well, If you think it's, uh, well, I think it's apropos.
1: Um, How would you, how would you describe then that difference between maybe that deep conscience and that surface conscience? Well, I could, I think
0: pretty much how you were just doing or starting to do um, the, the, the deep conscience is the is the part of the conscience that, um, uh, well, I I'm going to use well, I'm going to use the term. It's probably not the best term, but infallible, mm-hmm. um, in the sense that it it does not as as you were saying it does not err. But but how we sort of there's then that, the interface between that, that heart of our conscience where we rec- which always recognizes um, uh, truth from error and so on. But the interface with that at the, the, what he calls the superficial, more superficial level of conscience, that's where things get, how do we respond, you know, if the messages are coming up, so to speak, from our deep conscience, the way that we can respond to those varies. And that's where the errors can come
1: in. So. Right. So, so we want to look then at the way our conscience Speaks to us in the way, then, that we and he'll, he'll go then and talk about some of the ways that we err right. in how we uh, how we how we receive or perceive those those words that voice of our conscience. Right. So right. there's a couple modes of conscience. Talks about the cautionary mode uh, that alerts us to the peril of the moral wrong. Hey, don't do that. Talks about an accusatory mode that indicts us for wrong. Uh, I remember. Um, uh, someone told me they have the style when they go to confession that uh, that they are the uh, that they are the prosecutor of their own sins. You know, uh, they say, you know, uh, I accuse myself of the following sins. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So our conscience accuses us, uh, and it does through remorse. But rem- and remorse might be the one that we most think of the most. But that's only one of these these furies in this accusatory mode of the
0: conscience right so just, so there are the two different modes cautionary sort of before we do something wrong right. the klaxons go off warning warning danger, will robinson danger exactly. danger but after we if we go ahead and ignore our conscience and do the wrong mm-hmm. after that our conscience as he's saying here still plays the role hey you did something wrong um and then the way that that um he says, in the accusi- it indicts, as you read, in the accusatory mode, it indicts us for the wrong we've already done. But it does so in, the, in these different ways, the five different furies that, that, that we're talking about.
1: Exactly. So what are those five furies? What are those five mudes, modes of accusation? Of course, there's remorse, uh, the most obvious. Then there's also uh, the need uh, for... Uh, The need for confession uh, or atonement, reconciliation, justification. Uh, And so these are things that we're going to look at throughout this Uh, remorse, the need for confession, uh, atonement, uh, reconciliation, justification, these five theories. So, again, what are the five theories?
0: There are five theories. Well, do you mean what? You want me to list them again for you? Because repetition
1: is the mother of learning.
0: They are. Because it looked um,
1: like you were goofing off.
0: And not they are remorse, confession, atonement, reconciliation, and justification. How many was that? Remorse, confession, atonement, reconciliation, and justification.
1: I don't think Bye. I had confession that first time. No, I, I
0: said it. I said All it. You're, right. just, you're just not paying attention.
1: I'm just trying to accuse you after the wrong that <laughs> you did. I did no wrong. <laughs> I have My conscience is clear. Actually, we'll get to that in a moment. So, All right. Anyways, so conscience is uh, a teacher, it's also a judge, and it's also even an executioner in that sense, right? Right. Uh, In in this sense, it goes beyond accusatory, even to an avenging uh, mode. Right. Uh, And so, especially for those who do not, you know, if we do not acknowledge what's going on within us, or we deny it, then it becomes an avenging uh, conscience in this way. Uh, So... Right? We have the remorse, the confession, the atonement, the reconciliation, and the justification. Right. So, how do we experience, how does remorse then get twisted if we do not acknowledge, and how do we see that twisting as we do not acknowledge the evil that we've done, as we live in denial of what we can't not know?
0: Is that a rhetorical question, yeah. or do you... <laughs> <laughs> Dear listeners, I apologize. <laughs> Uh, And I think we touched this on a little bit last week. Just the irony of the fact I've done something wrong. I shouldn't have done something wrong. To make up for it, I need to do it again. So to punish myself, so to speak, where this remorse gets twisted this way, we commit the wrong again because we know it's bad for us. So we punish ourselves by repeating the thing that our conscience was accusing us of, to begin, as a, us of to begin with.
1: Right. So our efforts to dull the ache by not thinking about it may work after their fashion, but they also make repetition more likely. Remorse then, especially being for someone in all these theories, especially for those in denial that they did something wrong. Right. So it makes the repetition of the action more likely.
0: So he gives um, the... Ex- he gives the example there uh, just below where you had just, you know, I, I, I sort of put my own words, but you just repeated what he said verbatim. So I'll just do the same thing now. Um, he, here's the example of, of an alcoholic. A drunk is ashamed of being a drunk, so he gets drunk. Uh, that, I think it's a very uh, concrete way where we can see this way that remorse could go wrong, so to speak.
1: Another way that he talks about the way remorse gets twisted out is we divert the remorse. You know, and so uh, because we've done something wrong in this way, then we try to divert remorse divert to something else. So, you know, maybe um, I was a uh, um, notary- no- notorious, uh, oh, what's the word? It's an, L, it's an L word for a guy that's a uh, womanizer, Lothario, is the word? Lothario. Oh, okay. I'm trying to expand your vocabulary. Tell me... Time...
0: You have to tell me the word if I'm if I'm gonna use it.
1: <laughs> it's distracting you. Pop quiz, hot shot. So uh, I believe it's Othario, though. Maybe our technical consultants can look this up for us. Um, but the so the notorious womanizer who's pressured uh, girlfriends and lovers into abortions. You know, because he feels remorse about that, he's always seeking to uh, you know maybe oppose war, capital punishments. I don't eat meat. You know, whatever it might be. All those poor, defenseless animals. Um, actually, met a guy in college uh, who was opposed, uh, and a gal in college who they were opposed to uh, people wearing uh, prophylactic contraception because it inhibited uh, the spermata from freely swimming and interacting. Uh, but they were proponents of abortion. What? Yeah. Yeah. So they uh, 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 they were opposed to prophylactic contraception because it impeded the sperm. I heard. From, no, I, I heard you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. They're also were vegans as well, but they were abortion abortionists. I mean, they, they, they promoted and thought abortion was perfectly fine. And so I just don't know. It's you know it's 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 it's, it's a dissonance like that. It's a diversionary. Um, Difference. They talk about how some people like you know, the pill uh, uh, abortion in that sense because it feels more like a natural miscarriage, even though there's more danger of complications, all sorts right. of things. But for them, it feels like it's just a normal miscarriage, even though they instigate it.
0: Right. And so, or even, and I don't know if it's in this context or maybe somewhere else where he talks about, they pu- want to punish themselves um, right. for the abortion that they're committing, these women th- – th- it's got the conscience that that superficial love has gotten so twisted that they want to punish themselves by having an abortion that's more painful. Yeah. Um, I think he gets into that later with with some of the other furies but anyway
1: definitely We're also then trying to um, uh, cover it over then with uh, drinking drug use, things like that We try to cover up our remorse whatever that sinner or mistake might be as a keep, especially a larger one keeps growing I we you know we see this in the movies all the time. You know, uh, or or actually uh, Edgar Allan Poe, uh, The Telltale Heart.
0: Right, have you ever heard... uh, I've heard um, of it, but I honestly, don't know the plot details. Right, where the
1: guy uh, uh, kills someone, and in his head, he hears the man's heart beating Uh,
0: on the uh floor
1: of his house. Boom, boom, boom. It just gets louder and louder. So he does all these things to try to cover it up, and it drives him insane. Hmm. And so... So the second uh, the second fury then is uh, confession, right? You know that we want to you know uh, when we've done we've done something wrong, um, we have a we have a need to go and tell those in authority that we've done it wrong, and it's part of the way our conscience works to seek that atonement. And when it doesn't work, we deflect it to other ways. Okay. Um, you know we so we're driven to get the details out of our chest to anyone but the one who can bring us. Forgiveness, right? To tell the details to anyone, um, and we, we admit every detail. We get scandalous about the details, except of the fact that it was wrong. You know, in confession. You know, I don't. I don't need all the details, right? Just give me the facts. Exactly. Okay, I don't need to know the details of how exactly it was. You were gluttonous, right? Yep. Oh, Father, it was five packages of spaghetti and three cans of prego, and I boiled the spaghetti for thirty minutes. <laughs> um, Right? I don't need those details, whatever the sin might be. All you need to say is, I was gluttonous. I committed adultery. Uh, You know, whatever was, just give me the detail, or just give me the sin. That way, and I will forgive you. You know? All you need is the name of the sin and the number of times you did it. Right. And so, but we see how that gets kind of uh, split out in that way. But
0: just just on that, though, I mean, maybe, isn't there a distinction, though? Um, I mean... Doing that in the confession. He he gives the example of like Jerry, Jerry Springer, where we right. see in our culture. I mean, if you're going to do it mean, to me, doing it in the confessional isn't as unhealthy as it Of course. Jerry of Springer.
1: course, there is because there in the confession you are admitting it's wrong. Whereas in Jerry Springer you admit everything about the action except for Except <laughs> Yeah. You except, would go on a,
0: except for that what you did was wrong. Oh yes. Did I right. interrupt you there inappropriately? No. I apologize. Okay. No,
1: I, I just want to make sure you spoke it. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Right. Um, you know, um, so we just talk about different ways how this is, that's attractive to us in our culture, though. Right? This sort of uh, false, uh, these false confessions are, are attractive to us, though, in, in our sinfulness. And we'll uh, and talk about this a little bit in the idea of the fury of reconciliation. Um, of, of finding that group of fellow sinners. Right. Um, you know, uh, uh, normal human beings are more modest about their personal affairs, especially before strangers. Right. But the crucial point about confession is that when it is not in the service of repentance, right, confession to receive forgiveness, it remains in the service of sin. Mm-hmm. And to see it more clearly, we must understand uh, another kind of displaced confession, confession as advocacy. So where the person admits all of the salacious details of what they did wrong, but solely for the fact of trying to normalize the evil deed.
0: Right. Yeah, later he says, the astonishing thing is that confession can be used to advance an immoral cause. I know they say so-and-so is wrong, but it must be right because I suffered so much from not doing it. Right. So again, how we get it completely twisted around in our, in our minds.
1: But, but precisely because, I mean, but it speaks to its true power and its true reality that it can be such a powerful foe. In that sense, right. there is something latent and real and true about it because it is misused in this way.
0: Right, right.
1: So. Okay. So let's go on to the third fury, atonement, right? Now, this, uh, the power, uh, the atonement, this fury gets its knowledge from, gets its power. From our knowledge that a debt must be paid and somehow we've done a wrong, we're in debt, right? And so so we must do what we need to do to try and relieve to make that right. Um, So we see that in, you know, the secular humanism of our day in many ways, Right.
0: Yeah, and this, this is where he gives the example of what I was talking about earlier uh, with RU-486, people using the quote-unquote abortion pill, um, women using it because um, they, they wanted to go that way because precisely it was more painful and, and, and they, there, was, there was more distress because they, they wanted to make atonement for the sin that they were in the midst
1: of committing. Right, and the, and the sin that they may have committed before.
0: Right, right. Doing it again because, they, yeah, it's just sort of how I think there's a, a blending of, um, of uh, remorse with atonement that way. I'm going to repeat that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit another abortion because of the first abortion I committed, remorse, gone wrong. But then uh, in order to make up for the first abortion I committed, I'm going to do this one in a much more painful, agonizing way using the abortion pill.
1: Right. And so, uh, like he even talks about how um, of a woman who uh, had an abortion to punish her unfaithful husband, and then commits a second one to punish herself.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: Right. Um, And so this this idea that the atonement is to be, but it becomes twisted because that atonement is under the slavery and the service to sin. Right. You know, I wanted to be able to hate myself more for what I did to the first baby.
0: Right. Right. You know.
1: Uh, and so that's uh, just the power of, these, of our conscience in this way and how it's become twisted. We really do need a guide to untwist it in this sense. Um, you know, he talks about how the criminal wants to be caught in a certain sense. You know, we talk about criminals going back to the scene of the crime. I, uh, um, he, uh, he looks at, uh, uh, Brzezinski looks at uh, Dostoevsky. You know, legal punishment inflicted for a crime. Intimidates a criminal infinitely less than the lawmakers think, partially because he himself morally demands it. Right. You know, he morally demands that he be punished for the crime. You know, part of him wants to escape, but part of him wants to be caught because he knows it's wrong. You know, he may begin committing the crime more carelessly in order to be caught.
0: Right. Yeah, he gives the example there too of of cutting, mm-hmm. uh, binging, and purging. Um, ways that we uh, our conscience um, accuses us and that we in a in a twisted way respond
1: so then the fourth fury of reconciliation right where we we try to restore the bonds we have broken right cuz all sin uh, peter Kreef talks about sin being like pollution you know i pollute the i you know, i put out a puff of pollution in the air in some way It spreads out and affects everyone, maybe in parts per million, parts per billion, infinitely small, but they stack up. In the same way our sins corrupt our common spiritual atmosphere, and so we have a need to repair them. Thieves seek out thieves. Drunks seek out drunks. Molesters seek out molesters. And and these these bonds are counterfeit. They aren't real bonds, but um, they seek to in some way form them uh, because they need them.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, he gives, and then it leads to, um, he says, nothing bonds the group like mortal sin, or so it seems. Um, And so those who, uh, he he gives another example. Um, The need for reconciliation also explains why movements for disordered sexuality, homosexuality, uh, pederastic, sadomasochistic, cannot be satisfied with toleration, but must propagandize, recruit, and convert They don't suffer from sexual deprivation, partners are easy to find. They suffer from social deprivation because they're cut off from the everyday bonds of life. They want to belong. They want to belong as they are. There can only be one solution. Society must reconcile with them.
1: Right. Instead of them being reconciled with society because they're in such a denial in gymnastics that way. Uh, There's that great, great quote that he has here um, of uh, John uh, Thomas Newman, right? Uh, you know, uh, you want, in a sense, you need actual acceptance, open approval. If you cannot convert your critics by argument, at least by law, you can force them to recognize that your course is the course, of the country is the course of right. By law, you change what right is, as we talked about in our last podcast. The, you know, the sophistry of our day.
0: Exactly.
1: And so. Um, Number five, justification, right? To make something right, to show that is just, to maintain that is just, or sadly to feign that it is just, right. You know, the, the make something just and to feign that's just, are exactly the opposite. Right. Uh, and so I'm finally, br- I'm finally brought in line with justice is what that means. But instead I bring justice in line with me. Right. Uh, which is the great definition of insanity in various ways. Um, You know, we talk about the rationalizations, the uh, movement over um, uh, uh, what reality is and the denial of reality. That's why Peter Kreft has a book that he calls the Apple argument against abortion. Mm -hmm. You know, to to prove that abortion is wrong, you have to start with, you know, give people to understand that apples do exist and we really can't know them. Right, right, right. And so you think about the cognitive dissidents in that sense of the Nazis in, against the Jews in the gas chamber. You know. Uh, anyone else? Nothing. Okay. Uh, you know, we uh, the way we confused everything, and so then we tried to make it into that thing. You know, we've uh, overaggrandized, in a sense, sexual pleasure, and now we try to make sexual pleasure the sole measure of happiness. Right. 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 Uh, of happiness had to be confused with sexual pleasure sexual pleasure moreover had to be asserted not just as a good but as a right so that all the moral force of justice could be conjured on its behalf my right implies your duty and so hmm. but it's uh it's it's, it's, it's very interesting you know, as we as we go and we look at these things the way that we see that our uh, our conscience is working conscience isn't dead it's just getting being used in the service of sin because we didn't know how to use it otherwise exactly so finally just maybe to sum up on conscience and the purpose of the consciences the, uh, the greater purpose of conscience is not to inform us of a moral truth but to motivate us to live by it and so we can't just trust the conscience in that sense. for most of us at some times for most of us at most for some of us at most times guilty knowledge is not exhortation enough drastic measure becomes necessary driving life out of a kilter is so to speak the exhortation of last resort and that's what deep conscience and the furies can do
0: right i mean the the, uh uh i don't know that's in a sense it's like the argument arguing from absurdity okay if you're not going to wake up um to what you're doing i'm going to make life really miserable for yourself this is what this is what what we do I'm going to make life miserable for myself. Um, so hopefully, I will wake up. That's what our conscience does.
1: Exactly. So, very powerful and a good book, uh, but Jay, but just Jessica recommend anyone and everyone to, uh, to buy it.
0: Indeed. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, there we go. I, I agree. Buy the book, read it, study it. think there's a study guide for it you can get too.
1: And tell them Prairie Room Companion sent you. Tell It'll get you a 0%
0: discount. <laughs> yes, indeed. 0%. All right.
1: Thanks, Father. Thank you. And if anyone has any book recommendations or something for us to read or to talk about in future Prayer Own Companions, do contact uh, Dr. Chris Bergwald at C B U R G W A L D at SFCatholic.org.
0: org. Indeed. All right. We'll be back with next week with another episode of Prayer Own Companion. Thanks. God bless.